Could you give people like a thumbnail sketch of, of what this New York State budget process is? I guess starting with uh, the governor gives a state of the state. That's part of this, too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the governor starts with her state of the state address and this sort of uh, it outlines her priorities for what, what she wants to see happen um, in the coming year. And just like the State of the Union address at the national level um, and the State of the City address in, in New York, um, it's a combination of kind of lofty rhetoric about how great we are, right, and also some very important policy planks. And I think the reason that people who are interested in what's actually going to happen in the state government listen to these addresses is because they signal where the governor sees her top priorities because she's the things that she's willing to lay out in the public are often um, the real sites in, in her view. And then shortly after that, she puts out her proposal first, right? Right, right. So she releases her budget proposal that has a list of all of the spending she wants to see in the state in in the fiscal year that is to come and, is, and also a set of policy um, goals that are not necessarily about spending explicitly, but of course, like anything the state does costs money. And so they kind of package all of these legislative priorities into the, the budget plan. Uh, what process are, are we at now with just, you know, a, a week or so left before the, the ostensible deadline of April 1st for the budget? Yeah, yeah, that's a, a great question. So Right now, we're at this sort of in-between phase where they are, they're fighting it out. Um, last week, the Senate and the Assembly released what are called the One Houses, and those are basically the, each, each chamber's response to Hochul's budget. Um, and those two documents are similar in a lot of areas, but not identical. So sometimes the Senate will include a proposal that the Assembly didn't include, uh, vice versa. Sometimes one chamber will be totally on Hochul's side with what they want to see, and the other one will say, well, no, we have some differences here. But for the most part, the two one houses are a little bit closer to each other than um, they are to Hochul's budget. And at this point, all three bodies are kind of deliberating and, and duking it out and figuring out what's going to end up in the final state budget. And that is theoretically due on April 1st. Uh, they typically blow past the deadline. They're probably going to blow past the deadline this year as well. So we're probably expecting the budget to actually be finalized sometime in the first week of April. At first, uh, Governor Hochul was kind of just intimating, kind of hinting at uh, she'd be okay with missing the deadline if it means getting some other things done. And now uh, this past week, she's kind of just straight up been saying it. <laughs> she's not even being coy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. So it really seems like it's going to go past that deadline. I, so, so that that one house, and I'd heard that term. I didn't fully understand what what it means, but now that makes sense because then that's when uh, you, as New York Focus, put out this guide to the 2023 state budget fight, where you can actually side by side in the in the graph portion of it. You've got you know what's the policy, what's the executive proposal, what's the Senate proposal, what does the Assembly. Propose so so when they put out those one houses, that's when you can actually generate a side by side like this, so we can actually compare what like what are the different proposals here. Yeah, exactly. And so at that point, um, when they release the one houses, it's sort of a scramble for everybody in the media, right? Because they put out these huge documents that lay out here's everything we want the state to do this year, and um, or almost everything at least. 
And so what we did was we broke it down into very simple line items. You know, they want to spend this much on um, a tuition hike for SUNY, or they want to spend uh, this amount on on a a Medicaid change. And we laid those out in this graph where you can see Hochul's proposal, the Senate proposal, and the Assembly proposal all right next to each other. And then below that, we put this section. um, We made little drop-down arrows, and you can click kind of broad policy areas, so top-line spending, education, health, housing, criminal justice, taxes, and then climate and the environment. And when you when you click those, you can see a little bit of elaboration on um, what they actually want to do in these areas beyond just the top-line spending or the very most basic, you know, three-word version of what a certain bill would do. And this is the point where we should, you know, underline something that you already uh, mentioned to me is is this interplay between uh, budget and policy that like a lot of people you hear budget, you think money, you think numbers and, you know, mm. you, you might glaze over. But when you think policy, which might include things that people care about, this this is where these two things really intersect. Exactly, exactly. And so, I mean, I think in some ways, the one of the clearest ways you can see this illustrated is if you look at the, the graph portion of this uh, guide on our website, because in the graph, some of the line items have just a number. You know, it says musical theater tax credit, $100 million uh, increase across the board. But then others have kind of a, a phrase or a short sentence to describe what an actual change would be. So if you look at the climate section, there's a lot more stuff that is about actual policy implementation. So it says like gas bans, bans fossil fuels and new construction, bans fossil fuels and new construction with some other stipulations. And um, none of those things are a specific You know, I really noticed the contrast between some of these items in the Looking at the health section, which is one section where what the Senate and Assembly are proposing tend to be at least 50 percent more than what the governor is proposing. Not on every item. For example, Mm -hmm. mental health. Mm -hmm. All three entities are are proposing a a billion dollar increase for mental health. Okay, they agree there. But on something like uh, cost of living raise for care workers, governor says, okay, 160 million. Uh, Senate and, and Assembly are saying 487, which is more than twice. The essential plan numbers are even bigger. She, the governor is proposing 420 million. Senate and Assembly are proposing 1.7 billion. So that's a, those are some big differences to, to bridge. Yeah, yeah, they they really are. Um, I think one more that I would add, where I think perhaps they have the most dramatic split, um, although this is this is back to policy rather than spending, is on this. Medicaid expansion change for undocumented New Yorkers. So um, last year, Hochul said, okay, I'm going to seek out some federal money uh, to make undocumented immigrants in New York eligible for Medicaid. That's going to go into effect sometime in 2023. Basically, she hasn't figured it out yet. Uh, She hasn't sought the money from the federal government. And so this year, her policy proposal was Let's push that an additional year. Let's figure out the Medicaid for undocumented people one year from now. And neither House included that measure in their budgets. And and what that means on a policy level is a little bit funky because it's not to say that they necessarily are rejecting her plan 
outright. Um, but they're certainly not presenting it as one of their kind of planks of, of their priorities. There, there could be another column here in some, in, in some sense, though it would be much more vague because there is another, uh, uh, party, you know, beyond there's a governor, there's a Senate, there's assembly. But what I've really noticed, uh, this month of March, is uh, that there's all of these groups, these non-governmental groups or, or non-profits mm. or advocacy groups or lobbying groups, people that have interests, people that have policies that they want to see in place. And this is when they're making some noise because this is their chance to, to have their issue taken care of is via the budget process. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is really kind of the hot time for any, um, as you said, lobbyist, lobbyist advocacy groups, um, anyone who wants to have some influence in Albany, who wants to kind of shape what the coming year is going to look like. Um, this is really the moment because most of the policy for the whole year will be decided in this budget process. And listeners uh, to our station have been hearing, you know, Karen DeWitt file reports talking about, uh, you know, what what farm and ag folks want to see, what uh, some environmentalists want to see. And on this program, we actually spoke with uh, the League of Women Voters of New York, kind of spearheading this Let New York Vote coalition. And they're kind of making the argument that more needs to be spent on elections because New York State has this kind of bold and progressive uh get out the vote uh, ideas, policies that have already been passed, but this coalition is saying, okay, but you haven't really funded those changes. So again, there's that intersection of like funding and change going the other way this time. It's like, well, you can, you can make up the policy, but now how is that going to be funded? But that's something that we, we talk about at length and I don't yeah. see anything, at least in, in the breakdown. Did you notice anything in the budget that, that would impact elections like that? Um, I'm not sure about, um, voting coalition for the, or, or voting funding for the, in the budget, uh, yeah. this time around. I think, yeah, I mean, we've also, we've also encountered advocacy groups, groups pushing for, for exactly that to shore up, um, elections, but, and I, it's possible I could be missing something and that yeah. there's, there's an oversight here, but I'm, I'm, I don't know of, um, specific spending in, in the budget this time around for that. Yeah, and I don't mean to put you on the spot like you know every <laughs> single thing that's in, in the budget, uh, you know, because we're mainly here to talk about the, this really great and comprehensive uh, uh, breakdown that that you published. Uh, I don't expect you to know it off the top of your head, but I just figured I'd throw that out there because, again, that's something that we've had uh, conversations about here on air. You know, I think we're going to – we'll take a quick break, uh, and then when we come back, because we're doing the full show of this conversation, uh, we'll talk more about some of the, the policy debates that are playing out uh, in this budget and, and what you're seeing there. Okay, sounds good. As we, we look at the different proposals for the budget from the governor, from the Senate, from the Assembly, um, there, there are some issues that people have heard a lot about that that are playing out in this budget. The fight over the policy is also a fight now in the budget. Um, and one of those is bail reform still going on. And so how where are we at with the bail reform arguments on on both sides? And then where's the budget at with this? Yeah, so 
Hogel's bail reform proposals are, even to call them the bail reform proposals is a bit of a misnomer because I think, you know, a lot of listeners probably know uh, there was this bail reform law in 2019 that caused kind of a huge firestorm, right, that it removed cash bail in, in most cases. Um, and it said, you know, if, if you get arrested, you're, you, you don't necessarily have to pay to get it back out of jail because this is really criminalizes uh, people who are in poverty. And um, Hochul's proposal wouldn't just, it wouldn't. It wouldn't just roll that back. It it actually goes a little bit further. So, um, even before the the 2019 bail reform, New York required that judges who were setting bail could only consider the likelihood that a person returns to court or doesn't return to court. Um, and for bail eligible cases, the proposal that Hochul put forth would actually strip those considerations from the law. So it would it would free up judges' discretion uh, to consider more factors when they're setting bail. Now, some people think this is a good thing. Some people think this is a bad thing um, because when you think about the, the purpose of bail, really, like fundamentally, I think people mostly do tie it to that question of, is this person going to come back to court or not? No, this doesn't, this doesn't apply for the most violent of felonies, you know, if, if a person is like truly um, an active threat to a public, to the public, then there's, there's a different uh, calculus that goes on there. Um, and just, I guess, on Wednesday, um, the 22nd, Hochul had a press conference where she acknowledged some of the critiques of her, her bill proposals um, and really doubled down on them. You know, she said, she doesn't want to remove this change from her from her proposal, and that um, she's pretty committed to fighting this un- until the end. Neither the Senate nor the Assembly adopted this policy in their uh, version of the budget. It's it's a little unclear what they will let through because, as I said before, just because they didn't include it in their proposal, it doesn't mean that they're going to reject it whole cloth. Um, it just means that they didn't put it forth as a priority that they're trying to establish now. We've been hearing reporting about this, exactly what you said about the governor talking on Wednesday, um, but also like quotes from uh, Andrea Stewart-Cousins, uh, mm-hmm. quotes from, from the Republicans. Just, you know, it sounds like one side is saying, oh, this has led to rampant rise in crime in New York State, and another mm-hmm. side saying like there's nothing actually proving that's the case and there's starting to be some evidence that it's actually not the case. Um, right. You know, right. and so what's, what do you think the governor is, is trying to do here? Is it, is it, uh, is it a purely uh, optical political uh, position? Is there, is there something that she feels needs to actually be done here? What, if you can have any insight into this, what do you think she's up to? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is really tough, right? It's it's hard to know, I think, at any moment um, what the governor is thinking or, or why uh, these proposals are unfolding. I, I do think that if we've seen anything from her challenge uh, in the fall with from Lee Zeldin um, and the kind of coverage she's gotten, especially from right-wing media like Fox News, the New York Post, et cetera, um, there's a lot, there's a lot of fear mongering around bill reform, right? And so 
I, my impression is that Hochul and a lot of Democratic leaders like her sort of struggle with how to handle those kinds of attacks and whether or not to um, whether or not to respond to them, whether or not to kind of bend to the criticism. Because although she has this Democratic legislature in in both chambers who are not necessarily going to have the same kind of fear-mongering critiques that are coming at her from the right. Um, that does that does exist in the broader political ecosystem. And it would be silly to say that there are no New York voters who think this way or feel this way. And so I do think there is a political dimension to it where she is um, interested in appearing tough on crime, as a lot of Democrats currently do. I mean, she kind of – she and Mayor Eric Adams in New York City are very um, – aligned rhetorically in this way, I think. Um, there's also a lot of political pressure from uh, police and corrections officers unions. They, those are um, a fairly powerful kind of non-legislative um, entity who do, you know, they, they don't make the laws, but they certainly have uh, a lot of political power and a lot of political weight. Uh, the idea of, of, of pleasing or upsetting uh, a law enforcement union is very um, important, I think, to a lot of elected officials, especially at the state level. Right. And and as you were saying in there, too, just in terms of the general electorate, like uh, um, regardless of what the actual causes of crime are, there's actual concern, you know, re- regardless mm-hmm. of why or where that concern is placed or how you deal with it in a policy way, there's actual concern among voters about this. So it, uh, you can, you can understand it in that sense too. Another issue that's, that, that gets a lot of political spin on it. And you see headlines like essentially they're coming to take your stoves away. Um, and I see actual information related to that in this budget that kind of tells like a clear picture of what this conversation is about. There's two items in, in the climate and environment section. One is a gas ban in new buildings and the other one's a gas phase out in existing buildings. That gas ban in new buildings means, uh, no fossil fuel connections in new constructions by 2026 for small residential buildings and by 2029 for all other buildings. A gas phase out in existing buildings. Um, and this is the governor's proposal, by the way, uh, is what mm-hmm. I'm reading from here. And this would be banning the replacement of fossil fuel equipment in 2030. And then it actually says, um, and, and and then for small residential buildings by 2030, 2035 for all other buildings, and then specifically says does not affect gas stoves in the in yeah. the governor's portion. So that's what the governor's proposing. I've heard that the governor's coming to take people's gas stoves away. So <laughs> what do what does the actual budget suggestions from from all uh, parties here say to you about this issue? Yeah, I mean, I, as as you said, um, there's no proposal. To- to come take your gas stove away. That's, that's not real. Um, I think this actually somewhat similar to the bail debate. Uh, this is another instance where I think a kind of national firestorm of coverage has, has sort of descended on New York state and um, affected how Hochul's proposals are being, being presented in this case. So, you know, there was all of this, um, kind of furor over the idea that Biden was going to ban gas stoves, and um, he, which he's not either. <laughs> um, but 
uh, Hochul is also not proposing to ban gas stoves. She is proposing, um, well, yeah, so, so we'll, we'll break down uh, just as you laid it out. Um, there's a proposal that in a new building, they will stop putting fossil fuel hookups in new construction. And so this really fundamentally is um, about like boilers and furnaces. So yeah. if you have new construction that doesn't have any fossil fuel running through it, I think it does logically follow that it will probably be an electric stove. But for the replacement in the existing buildings, which is not set to start until uh, the 2030s and varies, you know, what year, depending on the size of the building. Um, the replacement there is supposed to be for a boiler or a furnace, the thing that provides your heat. And so the idea is that the state would require um, building owners and developers to replace these gas-run furnaces with, like, an electric heat pump. Um, and this, is, this has been in the works for a while. So the state has been building this kind of climate plan. They, they passed this very, very ambitious climate law that said New York is going to cap emissions at all of these different points from all of these different sources. And they've been working for over three years now to figure out how exactly to implement it. And this building's question is, is one of the biggest prongs because the buildings are a huge source of emissions. You know, I think people sometimes forget about them because they don't see them the way you see a traffic jam where there's the smog coming out of all of the cars. But mm. The buildings, buildings really do let off a lot of fossil fuel emissions. Um, so Hochul was mostly just following the guidelines of this state climate plan that has uh, a, a, a council where they've been kind of laying out these these very precise, meticulous, specific regulations for what this should look like. Um, and and so that's where this uh, plan to replace boilers and furnaces eventually and to stop um, constructing all electric or and to, to start constructing all electric buildings in the future is coming from. And this is, I think, yet another form that uh, this this dance between funding and lawmaking, uh, uh, the way they interact, because now, now what you have is th these are, again, as you said, like laws that were already passed. New York State legislatively already put itself on the path to hit a number of markers in its climate plan. Well, then the question becomes, how do we hit those? And the budget, the budget proposals is one of the ways to say, well, here are where those benchmarks are. Here's where, it, 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 here's what's going to be funded. Here's what's not going to be funded. And it's kind of like, I think we're going to be seeing more and more of these flare-ups in terms of these becoming hot-button issues because um, at the end of the day, if you're going to fight climate change, you have to change something, and there's there's people that don't want some things changed. Right, right, exactly. And I guess this is probably a good point to outline the difference between the, the governor's proposal and the legislature's proposal. Um, so basically for new buildings, you know, the proposal to say when we make a new building in the future, we're not going to put in a fossil fuel hookup. It's going to be an all, all electric building, ideally. Um, the Senate and the Assembly mostly signed on to that. They have some little tiny tweaks to how they want to see it implemented. But for the most part, they were on board with that proposal. And so that looks like it's probably going to go through. Um, but the proposal for existing buildings 
did not appear in the legislature's counter counter proposal. And I'm not sure exactly why, but I would uh, guess that there's it's probably likely that that's because of this kind of fury that we were seeing about um, the fear over people losing their gas stoves and also the the notion that um, there's a lot of uh, concern about just the concept of change and the idea that, like, okay, if there's a power outage um, in a snowstorm and it's cold, are you going to be able to rely on electric heat? I think that is a real question. And I do think that there are, there are increasing solutions to make those heating systems more reliable. But I think this is where you see the legislature um, thinking about those constituent fears very actively in, in their proposal. So those are a couple of the, uh, and I'll, admittedly, uh, more juicy political issues at work <laughs> in the budget. Uh, but because you, you spent so much time looking at this, I'm wondering what are some of the other, uh, policy implications or, uh, agreements or disagreements between the governor and the legislature that strike you as particularly interesting in this budget process? Mm, yeah. So, I mean, one that I think, um, this is an agreement. This is this is not a disagreement, um, but that I think is really stark and interesting, and um, is in line with a lot of our coverage that we've done at New York Focus. Is this subsidy um, for the horse racing industry for Belmont Park? Um, so, Governor Hochul proposed this loan for four hundred fifty-five million dollars. So it's, it's almost half a billion. Um, to go to the horse racing industry in New York, which by I think most traditional economic accounting uh, measures, you could say is largely failing. People don't go see horse racing the way they used to. Um, they're just not betting on it the way they once were. And it's, it's very unclear that the crowds will ever return. I think it's just kind of declined in popularity. Um, a lot of people have, also increased concerns about animal cruelty um, with regard to horse racing and, you know, the idea that a lot of horses die in the process of of doing this. And um, they're racing really young horses who get injured. And, um, but anyway, it's regarded throughout New York, especially throughout the government as this very iconic New York thing. Um, And so New York is already subsidizing horse racing. Um, there's this this structure where um, the state is already lending all of this money and give, giving a lot of tax breaks uh, to support the racetracks. Um, but Belmont Park on Long Island is a fairly old facility that needs a lot of um, upkeep, and they want to basically redo it. And so... The governor is proposing this almost half a billion dollar loan to the horse racing industry, um, which for a for a little bit of um, a point of comparison is about a third of what she proposed for um, more MTA funding. And like, of course, Hmm. the MTA is, is being offered more funding. But but if you just think of how 
severe uh, transit needs are. In and and how many places. how many people rely on transit versus um, uh, attend <laughs> horse races? Exactly, exactly. So it's yeah. I mean, um, the New York City subway alone uh, has a ridership of about two and a half million. Um, daily um and that or it did in in 2021 and and that's only one piece of the mta so anyway she proposed this and there was a lot of uh including from us there was a, a decent amount of media coverage and criticism there's criticism within the legislature um both in the senate and the assembly there are as you were referring to before there are these outside groups that are really against it and um so we sort of wondered what was going to happen when the one house came out, if these forces within the Senate and the assembly would have a counter proposal not to give them this loan or at least to, um, to give them a little bit less because remember, as I said, the industry is subsidized by New York state already. So whatever revenue it generates, which is what it will use to pay the loan back is going to come partially from New York state. Um, and so it's just not that fiscally, um, advisable, I think, according to, according to a lot of economists, um, like sports economists that we talk to, um, but both the Senate and the assembly put the loan in their proposals as well. And so it looks like that's definitely going to go through. And it seems like the sort of situation, um, you know, the horse racing industry has extremely powerful lobbyists. They, they're represented by um, Berlin Rosen and SKDK, and they, um, or I think one of, they're represented by SKDK, and then Berlin Rosen was representing this group that did a study for them, um, but they're all sort of, they're, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty entrenched is what I'm saying, and um, so I think it was the sort of, uh, one of those situations where the government spending and and the kind of like obstinance that you see um, becomes very stark. And um, that I thought was a, an illustrative um, kind of moment. There's um, and, and yes. And, you, you know, as you're talking, you're making me also realize that, you know, we're talking about the assembly, we're talking about the Senate and one of the quirks of New York politics is these, these bodies are overwhelmingly, uh, Democratic Party. You know, the Democrats mm-hmm. are in charge of both of these. So where does, in this budget process, do you see any place where, uh, Republicans are having, having some input or having some say or are aligned with their colleagues? I know there's not a party breakdown in these, you know, one house proposals. Uh, but do you see any, uh, subjects or, or funding items, uh, where you, you actually see, you know, Republicans have a presence? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think as we were talking about before with um, the bail proposal and some of the other criminal justice proposals, um, I do think, although these are these are Democratic proposals that, you know, she's a Democratic governor. um, This Democrat dominated legislature has to sign on to whatever they do. I do think you see a fair amount of Republican influence in that area. as well with the the issue of taxes generally, um, I think is an area where you often see kind of 
Republican influence. Um, so there's this there's this fight uh, where Hochul pledged that she would not raise income taxes at all. Um, but both both houses of the legislature proposed this half percent tax increase on the wealthiest New Yorkers. Um, and so this is. This is just to give you an idea. People who make over $5 million a year would see their taxes rise to 10.8%. Um, and people who are making over $25 million a year would see their taxes rise to 11.4%. And again, that's only a half percent increase from what it was before. Um, and the measures, these these proposals would uh, raise about $700 million a year in state funding. Um, and one thing to keep in mind is that while those are the Assembly's proposals, um, or the, the Senate and the Assembly's proposals, Hochul's proposal is no income tax increase at all. And I do wonder, um, you know, who's who's pushing her to oppose that and who's saying you can't raise taxes on the wealthiest people. And I wonder who will win. And of course, I think a lot of the Republicans in the legislature and the the Senate who are there and do have some influence um, will probably be fighting these tax increases and they might, um, they they might have a little bit of success. Um, Now on the, the corporate tax increase, um, Hochul and the legislature are more aligned, so they both proposed extending this corporate tax hike um, for three years. So in in 2021, the state raised top corporate tax rates. Uh, they went from 6.5 to 7.25 percent, um, and that was a three-year temporary proposal that is expiring in 2024. Um, so all three have agreed, let's extend this three more years. Um, But there is a more progressive contingent that says, let's just make this permanent. We should just raise the corporate tax rate. Why are we kind of kicking the can down the road and and doing these three-year extensions? And of course, if something changes, because politics are weird, things change, uh, and we get more Republican control in the future, it would be very easy to let that just lapse. You wouldn't even have to repeal a law. Um, and so I think that's another instance where you see some sort of kind of more conservative pull, um, even if the decision being made is, is a democratic policy. Right. I guess before we go, um, well, first off, is there anything else in all of this that, that we didn't get to that you want to mention to folks? Hmm. Um, I mean, I think one other thing that people might find interesting, this is at the, this is in our education section, is the, the fight over, uh, the, the charter school cap. Um, basically, there's a statewide cap on charter schools of 460. So we can't have more than 460 charter schools in the state. Um, and in New York City, the cap is 275, and Hogel proposed keeping the statewide cap, but removing the the city cap. So most of those charter schools could theoretically be in New York City. Um, and that would potentially, it, it would shift the landscape of where charter schools exist. And 
um, neither the Senate nor the Assembly included that. So that that's probably going to be another fight. Um, so that I think is, you know, if listeners have thoughts on charter schools, it's kind of a controversial issue, especially for people with, with kids, um, that might interest them. So as we said earlier, the deadline for New York State budget is April 1st. Everyone expects it to go past this deadline, um, perhaps not as l- far past the deadline as it used to years and years and years ago for people of a certain age might remember. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, whether whether it's the first week of April or later, whenever these fights get fully reconciled, then there's a budget. In some ways, this almost feels like, you know, when whenever there's a snowstorm, I can see like, okay, well, Hudson Valley weather's predicting this much snow and uh, this, this outlet is predicting this much and the National Weather Service says this much. And then the storm happens and you almost never hear, okay, here's how much snow actually fell. And so, right. so, so after the budget passes, uh, is, is there a moment, whether it's the, the legislators themselves communicating their constituents or us in the media, is there a point where we say, okay, here's how the fight's resolved. This is what's actually here. This is what's not there. Uh, I mean, well, for us, there will be, I think we're, we'll probably do another, I'm not sure if it'll have the exact same structure, but um, another sort of roundup to say like, here's where we, here's where we actually landed. Um, here's what the budget actually uh, decided, because I do think that it's a very important thing to um, consider. I do think, although, although most of the policy decisions, as we were saying, will be made in this budget, um, it's not the end of the legislative session. So it won't, it won't mean that nothing else can get done um, for, for fiscal year 2024. Um, but it is it is where most of the work is coming. So yeah, I mean I think we will we will do some coverage of what is actually found in the budget. Um and you can read that at New York Focus, which is nysfocus.com. Um and I think yeah, there'll be there'll be some media coverage, but um I I do I'm not sure what other outlets will do once the fight is over. Right. Well, we'll we'll you'll do some, we'll do some and then maybe we'll we'll get you back uh to do to do this together again because this is a great uh in-depth look at this battle that's brewing in Albany as they try to get the budget passed. Uh I I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Of course. Yeah, thanks so much for having me.